Welcome to episode 297 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, biohacker and author of What Win Wine. Lose weight and feel great with paleo-style meals, intermittent fasting, and wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Cynthia Thurlow, nurse practitioner and author of Intermittent Fasting Transformation, the 45-day program for women to lose stubborn weight, improve hormonal health, and slow aging. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and cynthiatherlow.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this show do not constitute medical advice or treatment, and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. So, pour yourself a mug of black coffee, a cup of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi, friends. I'm about to tell you how to get three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of premium grass-fed, grass-finished steak tips, all for free, plus $20 off. That's right, we're talking pounds of meat for free, plus $20 off. Friends, I love meat and seafood. My favorite way to get it is ButcherBox. It has been for years, and it's one of those things where I just sort of become more and more obsessed the more I use it. Especially with all the greenwashing that's going on today with meat and seafood, there's a lack of transparency, it can be hard to know what you're actually getting, and it can be expensive. ButcherBox addresses all of that. By directly partnering with farmers and fishermen, ButcherBox cuts out the middleman of the grocery store and directly delivers delicious meat and seafood straight to your door. And they have the highest standards. Their salmon, for example, is wild caught. Their beef is 100% grass fed and 100% grass finished. Their chicken is free range and organic, and it all tastes delicious. I love their chicken, love their meat, love their seafood. They have amazing scallops as well. And you can really find the collection of food that you want that works for you and your family. They have curated boxes, so you can get exactly what you want as fresh as possible because yes, meat and seafood that is immediately frozen is fresher than meat that is waiting out and never frozen. That's because it's frozen at its peak of freshness. It's funny because people kind of think it would be the opposite. Like, oh, I need never frozen meat and seafood. No, 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 no. You want frozen. You want meat and seafood that was immediately frozen and then shipped to you, which is what ButcherBox does. I eat a lot of steak at restaurants. ButcherBox's fillets are divine, way better than anything I would get at a restaurant. Their other cuts are amazing as well. With their seafood, I know I can trust them that I'm actually getting what they say because yes, there is a lot of scams in the seafood industry and their chicken also tastes amazing. It's free range and organic and tastes delicious. With ButcherBox, you don't have to worry about what's for dinner and ButcherBox has an incredible offer for our audience. You can have your choice of a weeknight meal essential for free in every order for a whole year. Just go to butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use ifpodcast to choose either three pounds of organic chicken thighs, two pounds of grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, or one pound of grass-fed, grass-finished premium steak tips plus $20 off. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast and use code ifpodcast to choose your free offer and get that $20 off. Butcherbox.com slash ifpodcast with code ifpodcast. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. 
One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 297 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Cynthia Thurlow. Hi, Melanie. How are you? I'm good. I have a question for you. Have you done, is it EBL? The laser? Broadband light. Yeah. Yes. I do that in conjunction with Perfractional once a year. I'm about to do it right after this. Oh, well, did they tell you that it's not painless? I don't share that with you to frighten you. No one told me that. And the first time I had just plain BBL, I was like, it's like snapping a rubber band against your skin. Oh, awesome. So I'm sure they'll probably give you something topical, but if they don't ask for it. Oh, should I put numbing cream on my face? I have it. I would bring it with you and just double check. They may have something that they want you to use. 
Is it okay if you have a cream on your face? They're probably going to clean it. So I would ask them like what their protocol is. Probably should have thought about this a little bit earlier. Because I can tell you BBL is not painless, but with numbing cream, it is tolerable. Okay. I might put on some numbing cream while we're talking. So it can be like soaking in because I think it has to soak in for a little bit. Because I do laser hair removal and always use the numbing cream for all of that. Did they give you lidocaine in a jar? Yeah. I have that. And then I have, there's one I order on Amazon that I like as well. Okay. It's probably not as strong. Like the, when I get perfractional and BBL done on my face, it's like the most you can legally prescribe. It works very effectively. Like my face will stay numb for two hours. Wow. Okay, I might grab some. Second question, because I'm glad you've had it. They said I'll be fine because I am recording with Benazadi tomorrow. Oh, you'll be fine. Yeah, no, I mean, so if you have melasma or if you have any brown discoloration on your face, it'll make it darker, but it's not like you can't function. It's just, it'll be darker and then it'll flake off and go away. Yeah, that's what people said. They said it like rises to the surface and then falls off. Yeah, I always say it's like if you have an exaggerated freckle and then it goes away. And then it goes away. I'm very excited. Yeah. I mean, it works very effectively. And I think most people don't even realize how much brown pigment they have in their face until they get it done. And then they're like, holy cow. So it's pulling out the pigment from your face, sort of? The laser itself helps to break up the pigmentation. Like you can have red areas in your face and you can have discoloration like brown areas. And especially for women that have been on oral contraceptives or just have had a lot of sun exposure, they can have melasma and pigmentation on their face that most women don't want to have. And so it's an easy way to help address it. Awesome. I've heard really wonderful things about it. So yeah, I go, I go once a year and I always say like, I have a love hate relationship. I love the way it looks once I've healed, but I don't love it at the time, but it's quick. So it'll be over before you know it. Well, I'll start While we're talking, I'll be rubbing some numbing cream on my face. What's new with you? Not a whole lot. Gearing up for the holidays and excited to not be traveling. Last Christmas, we went away. We had a wonderful vacation and my kids kept saying, it's just weird for it to be warm (laughs) on Christmas. So this year, they wanted to stay home. And so we are staying home and my mom and stepfather are coming to visit. So be a little bit of high sphincter tone when mom's here, but she means well. You know how moms can be. Yeah. Yeah. Holiday family dynamics. Yes. How about you? Well, actually to that, my dad actually is having surgery and it's a pretty intense surgery. So I'm sure it's going to be fine, but it's really made me like want to make sure I (laughs) do a lot of stuff. I mean, it's going to be fine. So we've we've planned a lot of really fun things to do. Like this weekend, I'm going over, we're going to just have a game night and then we're going to do an escape room that's King Tut themed. Have you done escape rooms? I have not yet. I think when that started to become really popular, it was like preceding the pandemic and then the pandemic happened and we never did it. They're so fun. And when you do them, you just realize, I feel like they're really, really good for your brain, your body, because you're like moving all around. They're very immersive. Yeah, they're super fun. I've only done two. This will be my third one, but I would, uh, love to do them more. Actually, it's funny. I interviewed AJ Jacobs. Do you know him? I do not. Oh, he's so funny. He's like, it's been one of my favorite interviews to date. I was dying laughing. He wrote a lot of books. He's like a four times New York Times bestseller. He just does random stuff. Like his his most well-known book, he just 
read the entire encyclopedia and talks about what he learned from it. And then like the puzzle book though was about puzzles. But in any case, he does have a section on escape rooms. And this never occurred to me. Apparently there's a lot of like cliche guests that show up at escape rooms. And like one of the cliches will be like the guy that will ask a girl on a first date and take her to the escape room, but he's done it multiple times. So he knows all the answers and then he acts like he doesn't. Okay. Sneaky. Yes. So yes, all the escape rooms. But anything else new in your life? No, no, just, uh, you know, gearing up for 2023 and, you know, trying to survive day to day with teenagers that are at times snarky and at times funny and trying to remind myself that those pleasant little cute kiddos are buried deep within them. I have moments where I'm just like, oh my goodness, like we just got back from visiting three colleges last week and one was a big standout for my son who I think wants to study engineering And, you know, it's just, it's like hard to believe. It's like I blink. I remember when he was born and it's like, how is it possible that we're looking at colleges? So this is like a top 20 engineering program. And so it's like one out of eight kids get in. It's really intense. And so having to explain to him, you got to work your butt off. Like this is not half-assing anything. And now he's got like four AP classes. I mean, he's got a pretty, a pretty intense year. So we're just trying to, you know, help him head in the right direction and hopefully he'll have a couple reaches and a couple safety schools and then have some others that are, you know, pretty much guaranteed. But we're, we're fortunate we're in a state where there are a lot of, I would say there's probably three or four really, really good state schools that a lot of people come to from out of state. So we're, we're fortunate. Do you remember those, those applying to college years? I graduated early so I applied when I was a sophomore in high school. So I didn't even go through the college application process. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I applied to USC. They have an early entrance program. So I found out, I guess, early junior year. And then I left after that year. That's interesting because they have like they have two early decision options now. This is how it is in each school we looked at. And one is binding and one is not. And essentially they take the university he wants to go to, that's his first choice, they take 350 students, early decision. So is that where you skip senior year of high school? No, 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 no. He He's going to need to go his senior year. Oh, it's just like making the decision earlier? Yeah. Well, but he would be, if he does early decision and gets accepted, he knows November 1st where he's going to go the following year. So, but that's binding. Okay. Yeah. I got to live vicariously through my other friends and then also like my siblings. So, yeah. And it was fun. I, they actually let me, my high school, they let me go on the senior trip even though I was gone. So I had been in college a year and then I went on my senior trip with my high school friends and they were just graduating. So what was that like to go to college? I'm guessing you were a year younger than you would have been, mm-hmm. but obviously very dedicated. Yeah, I was, so I was 17 and it was funny. There was a, I don't know if he was, he wasn't in my program. So the program that I did, they take, they had like 20 people that they take every year for that program. Not in my program, but I met somebody else who had done that and that person had actually skipped a year in high school as well. So he was like 16 when he went, which is crazy. Oh my gosh. I can't even, especially with a boy, I can't even imagine. Like my son will be 18 his senior year and then he'll be 19 when he starts. And with boys, they need a little more time to mature. Yes, yes, yes. And you get the gift of time. Like I always say, like I will never regret sending my kids to school when they were six and not five. So I got an extra year with them. Yeah, that makes sense. 
besides the fact that I missed out on some senior year stuff, I actually like I missed our basic like econ class and government class, which I just feel like I missed out on some basics that I could have learned from that. And I missed out on like the literature class from senior year. Besides that, everything felt really normal. Like it just felt like going to school. I mean, I think, you know, from my perspective, I mean, there are some people who are just way more emotionally mature and ready for the rigor. Like I say all the time, my youngest is at a magnet high school and it's like college. I mean, I I think college will be easy for him after this. And so he's just ready for it. I'm not so sure my 17-year-old's ready for that amount of rigor, but my my 15-year-old is very, like he sits down and literally comes home and like rewrites his notes, tapes his notes, writes his notes, spends a week studying for an exam. And I, I say all the time, like, we aren't doing this. He's doing this all on his own. He's very self-directed. And so he's got a fire in his belly and that's innate to who he is as a human being. But I think it'll serve him well. Like he has talked about, he already knows where kids have been accepted for college from the, from the high school he goes to. So he's like, oh, they take this many to this university and this one to this one. Whereas like Jack's, my oldest son, well, his high school will take three to the same university. Liam's like, oh, our school took 65. (laughs) So it's an interesting dynamic, but they're exactly where they need to be. And that's, that's why I say like very self-directed, mature, focused kids, they might be ready earlier for those kinds of academic challenges and things like that. People are definitely all different. I'm just thinking back about like how different me and my siblings are as well. And you also can't really tell, I don't know, like my, I don't know if I should be saying this publicly. My brother like had his intense period where he was struggling, but he's like doing so well in life now, you know? So like people can really, I don't know come out of anything. Yeah. No. And I I think anyone that's listening, whether they're reflecting on their own siblings or their kids, everyone kind of matures at a different pace. And my oldest is a little more, he's very smart, but he's a little more laid back. And he's literally for the first time in his life has been really challenged in one of his AP classes. And I'm seeing the effort he's making and he's doing that very self-directedly and I'm proud of him, but you can't motivate him the way that I can motivate my younger one. It's very different. I have to be careful. Like, I'm the gunner. (laughs) I'm the one that had the fire in the belly. So, you know, to me, I understand my younger son and my husband understands my older son a whole lot better. So we we try to make sure we're like conscious of that. I think I mentioned recently I interviewed Seth Davidowitz for his most recent book was Don't Trust Your Gut. But he has a whole chapter on parenting and the effects on children and their ultimate you know, how they end up. I might've mentioned this on the show before. I just find it so fascinating. He really makes the case that it's mostly nature, not nurture, with the exception of one factor. Did I tell you this? There's one parenting decision that parents can make that seems to really affect how their kids turn out. Otherwise, not so much. Interesting. What is that parenting decision? (laughs) It's where you live. Yeah, I can imagine. So I guess because of the effects it has on their entire environment and how they grow up. So it's where they live and how many adult role models they have that are not their parents. Yeah. It's interesting to give you an example. So my youngest is in, he's a high school freshman. And when he was in seventh grade in the midst of the pandemic, one of his teachers led a private class for him and a couple of his peers and they learned Macbeth. 
And so he knows Macbeth backwards and forwards. And so sure enough, what are they reading in freshman year? Macbeth and his teacher said his grasp of concepts is so, first of all, it's unusual that he's interested. Number two, his grasp of the concepts and the nuances is so unusual. And Liam loves it. Like he feels like a total empowered badass. And he's just, you know, he's kind of quiet in class. But his teacher said he always has these kind of deep and kind of insightful comments. And she said, does he read Shakespeare like on his own? And then I explained the context, like in the midst of the pandemic, we were trying to, you know, get him interacting with some of his peers virtually. And this one teacher really took, you know, took advantage of the fact that he could get them to be interested in Shakespeare. And so, yeah, and he still talks about this teacher, like how much of an impact he had on him and how grateful I am that during the pandemic, he was able to A, be interested in learning about something and B, you know, take such a, a lead in his own education. Like he didn't turn it off. He just leaned in and learned and really enjoyed it. Yeah. No, that's amazing. Yeah. There's definitely that type of reading all the things. That's what I was doing growing up. Yeah. No, no. I can imagine you were like a little budding Liam, but the girl version. I get it. Yeah. Totally get it. I take AG1 several times a week after working out and when I'm ready to break my fast. And it really makes me feel unstoppable. I love to add it to a protein smoothie or actually will drink it with filtered water. And I love both variations. My 17 year old also enjoys AG1 after a workout to ensure he stays really well hydrated. A great deal of what I focus on in my personal life is ongoing gut health improvement. And I do feel fundamentally that AG1 has contributed significantly to improvements in my gut health over the last three years. I feel as if the key health benefits from multivitamins, minerals, pre and postbiotics all work together synergistically to improve my gut microbiome. And AG1 is way more than just greens. It's important to note that it's made with 75 super high quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients that deliver incredible benefits to the gut microbiome, as well as sleep support, assistance with energy, and so much more. So if you want to take full ownership of your health, today is a good time to start. Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. I find that these five free travel packs are so convenient when you're traveling. In fact, I was in Los Angeles last week and I used one each day that I was away. Go to athleticgreens.com slash ifpodcast. That's athleticgreens.com slash IF podcast and check it out. Well, shall we jump into fasting related things for today? Sure. Our first question is from Cece. Subject is ashwagandha and diabetes. I love your podcast. I would like to know if taking ashwagandha breaks your fast. I first read about it in the prime diet and started taking it before intermittent fasting, but I'm now afraid it will break my fast. My second question is on the link of intermittent fasting to diabetes. I'm so excited about fasting, but just heard of the recent study that links fasting to pancreatic damage and type 2 diabetes. I have diabetes in in my family history, but I'm very careful what I eat, more low carb, but this new study is scary. What are your thoughts? Thanks. All right, Cece, thank you so much for your question. Well, for the first one for ashwagandha, assuming it is just pure ashwagandha, it should not break your fast. Like I don't really do much with adaptogens, but you are a fan of adaptogens, right? 
I love adaptogens for many reasons. And ashwagandha is one of these really flexible adaptogens, meaning it can be helpful for balancing cortisol. It can also be very calming. So you can take it sometimes in the morning and it can be energizing. And then you can take it in the evening and it can be balancing if you're feeling like your cortisol is high. And it's also one of the best researched adaptogens. I've taken ashwagandha like a little bit. I personally didn't notice many benefits, but I know a lot of people have. Do you know, is it a nightshade? People say that. Yes, it is. Yeah. So if you're sensitive to nightshades, you want to avoid ashwagandha. Okay. The ones I have tried, I've responded well to rhodiola. Yeah. Rhodiola is great at nighttime. I think my other favorite is probably relora. So it's derived from magnolia bark and it's very calming and that's a great one to take at night. Oh, interesting. The rhodiola always made me energetic. So I would take it during the day. Well, it's interesting out of all the patients I've taken care of, I had one woman who swore it made her wide awake at night. The rhodiola. Yeah. I think that has some bioindividuality. Meaning, I mean, from that point on, I stopped using it. Not necessarily with every patient, but I really started leaning into other options like Relora, which is really nice and very calming and nourishing for the brain. Awesome. Do you think you'll make some adaptogens in the future? I do. Although, you know, I tend to be kind of a purist. And so I definitely think about, you know, either a sleep blend or something that will be helpful in the morning to be energizing. I mean, I vacillated back and forth, but I think most of my focus is going to be either on sleep support or things that are going to like help with insulin sensitivity or muscle, you know, muscle growth or muscle performance. I think initially those are going to be my focus. And so I do think adaptogens will be part of that. It's just figuring out what's the right blend. Because when you start blending things together, you don't always know what's working and what isn't versus if it's just creatine or just, you know, one type of like magnesium L3 and 8, which I love you have a better sense. Is this working for someone or not? Yeah, no, that's so true. I agree about the single things because otherwise you you won't know. Yeah. Oh, and I guess speaking of things that really benefit blood sugar control, my berberine launched, when this airs, it will have launched 10 days ago. So hopefully, hopefully people stocked up. Um, and so if you would like to get that, we are actually having a special. So the special ends at the end of this month. So stock up now at avalonx.us. The special is you get 15% off of one bottle or 25% off of two or more. So this is really the time to stock up. I've really been honestly floored because I was taking berberine originally just for the blood sugar control. But after deciding to make it, I've really been researching all the other benefits and it's overwhelming all of the benefits. GI health, obviously blood sugar control, reducing blood sugar, reducing cholesterol and lipids, When it comes to the gut microbiome, it seems to beneficially increase beneficial bacteria and decrease more problematic bacteria. And actually, it helps the body's reaction to LPS, which is the toxic byproduct of bacteria. And they think that that actually might be a mechanism for how it affects blood sugar, which is interesting, which just speaks to how intense our gut health relates to our overall metabolic health. And I think our gut microbiome is affecting things way more than we realize. Oh, yeah. I totally agree with you. It's interesting. I did a IG live. I'll be bringing Dr. Chikku on the podcast in January. And she's a gastroenterologist, like a functionally focused gastroenterologist. And she has this great book that just came out talking about the role of viruses in the gut microbiome. And, you know, it's really apparent to us that, you know, she and I trained over 20 years ago and Lord knows we knew very little 
to nothing about the gut microbiome. And it's almost like peeling an onion. The more you learn, the more humbled I am. And that's actually going to be, it's called the antiviral gut, but she was fantastic. And I cannot wait. I don't do many IG lives anymore, but she was well worth the IG live. Like that was definitely a highlight of my week. Yeah, that's amazing. We just don't even... (laughs) I just don't even realize. And I will comment though quickly that the primary mechanism of action for berberine reducing blood sugar, I mean, I don't know. It's probably not the gut microbiome. It specifically affects pathways in the liver and can downregulate the liver's production of glucose and also can affect glucose absorption and utilization and insulin and things like that. So, yep. So again, the link for that is avalonx.us. Through the end of the year, you can get 15% off of one bottle, 25% off of two or more. And then after that, you can use the coupon code Melanie Avalon to get 10% off. And that code will get you 10% off site-wide as well. Okay. And then for Cece's second question, so she wants to know about the link of IF to diabetes. So I am not sure what study she's referring to. I researched, I searched like a lot to try and find a study talking about intermittent fasting, encouraging diabetes. And I think I found it, I think, because this study came out, it was like in 2018. It was called, Could Intermittent Fasting Diets Increase Diabetes Risk? It was published in the European Society of Endocrinology. And it was one of those studies, you know, Cynthia, how like these studies come out and then like all the headlines are talking about it. That was the case with this one. What's really interesting is it's no longer on the website. So I can't find the actual study. I'm guessing the study got is it redacted? I mean, but what's weird is they don't have a, a note. It just no longer exists. So I'm thinking she was probably talking about that study and I'm thinking something happened with that study to the fact that they don't have it published anymore. So in any case, what it was looking at was it was a study in rodents and they put them on fasting diets and they found that I think it was an ADF approach. So every other day, and they found that the rodents did lose weight but their insulin went up and they gained visceral fat. So the conclusion was, or the hypothesis was that even if fasting was resulting in weight loss, it was actually encouraging diabetes and metabolic issues by its effect on insulin. So stepping back from that, well, first of all, like I said, the study is gone. So (laughs) something happened with it, which is suspect. But moving beyond that, I could not find, and maybe I didn't search enough, but I could not find any other studies saying this. The overwhelming majority of literature on fasting is that fasting has a very beneficial effect on insulin, on diabetes risk, on things like that. For example, a much more recent meta-analysis from 2021 called Intermittent Fasting, Is There a Role in the Treatment of Diabetes? A Review of the Literature and Guide for Primary Care Physicians. Like just reading from it, it literally says, quote, the majority of the available research demonstrates that intermittent fasting is effective at reducing body weight, decreasing fasting glucose, decreasing fasting insulin, reducing insulin resistance, decreasing levels of leptin, and increasing levels of adiponectin. Some studies found that patients were able to reverse their need for insulin therapy during therapeutic intermittent fasting protocols with supervision by their physician. Current evidence suggests that intermittent fasting is an effective non-medicinal treatment option for type 2 diabetes. More research is needed to delineate the effects of intermittent fasting from weight loss. So the long story short takeaway is 
whatever study CC saw, that one or another, I would not be worried about intermittent fasting for increasing diabetes risk. I think the overwhelming majority of data supports the opposite. Cynthia, do you have thoughts? I do. You know, it's interesting. This is always a good example of cherry picking research and data mining and the catastrophizing that goes on in the media when people don't know how to read research. And and I would concur with you that everything that I read and everything that I look at really supports this carb insulin hypothesis. And for someone to somehow suggest that intermittent fasting, which is our ancestral birthright, is somehow going to create pancreatic damage and contribute to diabetes, I, I think is really dangerous because we are we as humans are not designed to eat the way that our modern day lives have kind of embraced. And so it, it just makes me sad that someone propagated an idea that was picked up by mainstream media that suggested that this would somehow be harmful. In fact, I have Dr. Jason Fung's book sitting in front of me because my intermittent fasting coaches are reading this this month. And the Obesity Code talks a great deal about relevant and current research that supports this hypothesis of carbohydrate restriction. That doesn't mean no carbohydrates, but I definitely am a fervent believer in carbohydrate restriction for people who are metabolically unhealthy and certainly those that are insulin resistant. And I always say knowledge is power. And if you know that you are metabolically healthy and metabolically flexible, then you know you can adjust your carbohydrate consumption accordingly. But to suggest that somehow it's going to damage your pancreas, I mean, this is not... Type 2 diabetes is a lifestyle disease. Let me be very clear. Type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune destruction of the beta cells in the pancreas. Very different. And to somehow suggest... That nutrition is playing a role in type one versus type two is unfortunate. I keep saying it, but I find that really, really interesting that that study is just gone. Yeah, redacted. And it's probably because it's garbage. Normally, even if a study's, you know, not good, like you can still find it. Like it's still up on the internet. So the fact that it's just gone is very weird, but telling. It's a fascinating development. Yes, it is. And of course, just to comment on what you were saying about the sensationalization of these findings and such, they're not going to come out and say, hey, study was redacted, you know, like there's not going to be a whole news swarm where they say that this was undone. And it, you were saying this, it's concerning that these ideas can get out there that might not be accurate and they can be just so sensationalized and presented as truth. And it's hard to unlearn something that you were exposed to, even if it wasn't true. You know, like, because once you hear it, you hear it. So, by the way, I'm not discouraging different findings coming out. I'm all for all the different findings and questioning things. It's just the problem comes when most people aren't going to actually look at the source material and think about it. And they're just going to listen to, or many people, I shouldn't say most, but many people will just listen to the news and take what they say, which also will be a slightly bastardized version of the original source material. So, I always say it's the rabbit hole that you have to dive down. Like, someone got excited about some creatine research and they shared it with me. And I said, well, it's an N of 26. So the potentiality exists that there might be something worth investigating, but it needs to be statistically significant. That's more often than not what I see is, you know, very small sample sizes. And then they extrapolate from that and then convince people, oh, you know, this thing that you've been doing for five years is no longer healthy. It's like, wait a minute, <laughs> let's look at the data. Let's look at the research. 
let's be thoughtful. And I agree. I, I hope, you know, listeners know that we're always happy to read stuff that's contrary to our own opinions. I think that's part of just being an intellectually curious human being. It's like, show me the evidence and let me look at it. And then, you know, we can decide if it will encourage us to form a different opinion or if it just validates what we already think. Exactly. Like, I want to know, like, tell me why I'm wrong. That's why I, that's why I love reading different opinions for me. Like, I love it. I want to know where I'm thinking incorrectly. Like, like, I would like to know that that would be beneficial. And I'm not wedded to any one answer. Or at least I, as much as I cognitively perceive myself not being wedded to, I, I know we all have biases that are really hard to see past, but I really do try to be open. Absolutely. So, okie dokie, shall we answer another question? So this actually relates to what we were just talking about with your creatine. Nikki says, hi, Melanie and Cynthia. I would love for you to discuss the science behind creatine a bit more, especially after learning Cynthia has a creatine supplement coming out soon which is actually now out. I have some Thorn brand and try to take it when I remember, but I'll admit it could be a bit more consistent. I'm a questioner under Gretchen Rubin's Four Tendencies Framework, so it helps me to know why when I'm trying to make something a habit. My question is, why is creatine necessary even if you're meeting your protein requirements? In my case, 130 to 145 grams a day. My other question is, when is the best time to take it? Thanks for all you do. That's a great question, Nikki. And what I can tell you is we don't get enough of creatine. So our bodies, let me just back up. We Our bodies have 70 to 80% less endogenous creatine sources compared to men. So that's number one. Number two is if you look at the research, irrespective of life stage, women have differing needs. So when you're menstruating at specific times during your menstrual cycle, you can benefit from a little bit more supplementation. I just reviewed a study this afternoon looking at menopausal women, and the same could apply to perimenopausal women as they are losing estrogen. They have greater issues with muscle protein synthesis, and so supplementation can be beneficial there as well. And what I would say is that we don't get enough from animal-based protein because I would love to say just eat more protein. That's not going to do it. We need we need this specifically for ATP in the muscle. And so supplementation is going to be very beneficial. I personally have been using this for over a year. Obviously, just only recently using my own product because it wasn't available before. But my trainer last year started talking to me about it. And there's a lot of really good research Dr. Gabrielle Lyon is 100% on board with the utilization of creatine in women. And so to me, since a lot of the focus of my work is really talking about metabolic health and maintaining muscle mass, and gosh darn it, it's so much harder at 51 maintaining muscle than it was 20 years ago. I just never appreciated it. So I wanted to introduce something that would be helpful for women throughout their lifetime. And so I would recommend taking it during your feeding window, not during your fasting window. Melanie and I were talking about this earlier and I was saying I put it into a smoothie and that's how I choose to consume it, but it doesn't have a taste and it's not granular. Like that's one of the things that the mixability is high. There was a, another product that will remain nameless that I've used in the past and it's almost crystallized. So it was harder to get it to blend easily with liquids. That would be my my recommendation. And yes, I am very familiar with Gretchen Rubin's Four Tendencies Framework. I actually was on TV. Yeah, it's interesting. I was on TV with her. Oh, really? Yeah. When I say on TV with her, 
when I was at our local ABC affiliate in Washington, D.C., I got to meet her. And at the time, I didn't know who she was. I'm embarrassed to admit that. But I loved what she talked about so much that I went out and bought the book. And every time I worked with a new client one-on-one, I would give them the quiz. I feel like I'm so obvious when I am. <laughs> All I needed was like a summary of that book. And I was like, I, yeah, I know exactly what I am. I'm not the questioner. I think I was the uphold. No, I wasn't the upholder, obliger. So for listeners, it's whether you uphold inner versus outer expectations. So if you uphold inner and outer, so inner being you and then outer being what other people are asking of you. So let's see if I can remember this. If you uphold both, you're an upholder. If you uphold your inner, but not other people's, you're a questioner. If you uphold other people's, but not your own, you're an obliger. And if you just reject everything, you're a rebel. I really feel like, honestly, I'm a little bit of two. I I wouldn't describe myself. And I think when I took it, I was kind of on the fence about what direction I headed. And I think the younger me would have been the obliger. I was never the rebel, although I've had many rebel clients. And then I have to remind myself. But the questioners, the ones who always ask a lot of questions, it explains so much. And anyone who is comfortable and confident with who they are would never see that as a negative it's a curiosity piece for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. For you, I would say either a, well, I was thinking either a questioner or an upholder. I'm a little bit of an upholder, but I'm not like, I'm not like rigid and judgmental. Like that's the one thing that didn't, I'm much more like, I always, I always say like, I don't use the term libertarian, like lightly. I'm just saying like, kind of like, I just accept people where they are. I'm not particularly judgmental unless you're bad to children and animals, then I do have strong opinions, but that's a whole separate conversation. Hi friends. I'm about to tell you how to get 15% off my favorite blue light blocking glasses ever. So I am often asked, what are my favorite quote biohacking products? And something I truly honestly cannot imagine my life without are blue light blocking glasses. So in today's modern environment, we are massively overexposed to blue light. It's a stimulating type of light, which can lead to stress, anxiety, headaches, and in particular, sleep issues. Blue light actually stops our bodies from producing melatonin, which is our sleep hormone. So our exposure to blue light can completely disrupt our circadian rhythm, make it hard to fall asleep, make it hard to stay asleep, and so much more. Friends, I identify as an insomniac. I would not be able to sleep without my blue light blocking glasses. I also stay up late working and wearing blue light blocking glasses at night has made it so I can do that and still fall asleep. My absolute favorite blue light blocking glasses on the market are Bond Charge, formerly known as Blue Blocks. Bond Charge makes an array of blue light blocking glasses in all different designs so you can truly find something that fits your style and reap all of the benefits of blue light blocking. They have their clear computer glasses. You can wear those during the day, especially if you're looking at screens all day to help with anxiety, headaches, and stress. They have their light sensitivity glasses. Those are tinged with a special yellow color, scientifically proven to boost mood, and they block even more blue light. Those are great for the day or evening. And then they have their blue light blocking glasses for sleep. Those are the ones that I put on at night while working before bed. Oh my goodness, friends. It's something you truly have to experience. You put on these glasses and it's like you just tell your brain, okay, it's time to go to sleep soon. They also have amazing blackout sleep masks. Those block 100% of light with zero eye pressure. I wear this every single night and I don't know how I would sleep without it. 
and you can get 15% off site-wide. Just go to bondcharge.com and use the coupon code IFPODCAST to save 15%. That's B-O-N-C-H-A-R-G-E.com with the coupon code IFPODCAST to save 15%. All right, now back to the show. Yeah, yeah, I, I do think like the layer of how you perceive it is like, I feel like you could withhold or not withhold inner versus outer, but then the layer of how you, like the judgment layer would be like separate. Like you could be judgmental in all of it or judgmental in none of it. But I can see how certain personality traits would probably more likely lead to others. Absolutely. I really like her work and I listen to her podcast and I don't know if anyone else has this issue, but I definitely feel like we need more strong female role model podcasters. Do you feel that way? It's funny. I was recording just yesterday with Elle Russ, who I adore. And we were talking about, because she was the co-host and host of the Primal Blueprint podcast for so long. And now she has her own show, The Elle Russ Show. But we were talking about the role of women. And yeah, there is like a lack, maybe. So yeah, I guess a lot of the podcasts, I'm just thinking to what I listen to. I guess it is a lot of men. I mean, the ones I listen to, like if I if I really am honest with listeners, I tend to lean into some of the male ones because my husband was making fun of me because we listened to Huberman Lab all the way to DC and back because Huberman Lab was recording with BioLane. And so it was like almost a four-hour podcast. It was craziness, but only because I was in the car and my husband was like, oh my God, this is so dry. <laughs> and I was like, sometimes I just want to learn. Like I just want to absorb as opposed to just be entertained. And I think some of the male dominated podcasts, you know, do a a nice job with that. It just depends on my mood. I mean, there's definitely, there's probably like six male dominated podcasts I lean into. And then like, I listen to yours. I still need to listen to the glutathione one and, and a few others, but it's probably more, it's more like male centric, not on purpose, but they tend to be more, I don't know, data driven, less fluff. Yeah, that's true. I'm I'm just thinking, I listen to well, like Rob and Nikki, so that's both Rob Wolf, Peter Tia. I don't listen regularly to Huberman. I listen to Rich Roll all the time. I need to listen to Rich. Have you listened to him before? I have not. This actually speaks to what I was talking about earlier about having an open mind. The reason I listen to him primarily is because he's very vegan. <laughs> so he's like, he provides like a very different perspective because I'm so seeped in like the keto and carnivore world. So listening to a vegan driven podcast, I find very helpful. And I find him very open-minded. I find him very like comforting. And he interviews a lot of people that I interview as well. So like he interviews people that I'd be listening to anyways. And I feel like I get a different perspective coming from him. And I just find him very calming. So like I listen to him at night and I listen to Michaela Peterson. I like her podcast. I don't know her. She's spicy. Jordan Peterson's daughter. Don't know her. Yeah. So she got popular. Well, her dad's Jordan Peterson, so that helped. But she had a whole thing with carnivore and she went on Joe Rogan and talked about her carnivore experience and that kind of shot her up. So podcasting. I'm just always grateful that like I'm in this world, you know, because there's so many podcasts. I like don't take it for granted that we have, you know, some amazing podcasts with an amazing audience because it's not easy. No, no. And it's it's interesting. I'm part of a podcast mastermind and you know, I'm at a different stage in my my business and my podcast. And so I'm oftentimes giving advice to people in the group, which I lovingly do because I really enjoy this group of women. And I forget how 
I don't think we tracked metrics the whole first year we were podcasting. And really, I didn't start taking podcast metrics seriously until Kelly and I. So Everyday Wellness used to be a co-hosted podcast with a friend of mine who's a clinical psychologist. It was kind of her idea. And then, you know, a little bit over a year in, she was less interested in doing it. And it was either sink or swim. And so it wasn't until 2020 that I started paying attention to those things. And I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to swim. I'm not going to sink. I'm not going to turn this over. And so, you know, from my perspective, I think that loving what you do is certainly very evident. And I know Jen and, and you created this amazing community of which I'm very grateful to be a part of. And then, you know, our own ecosystems that are separate from intermittent fasting podcasts, but, you know, there's no doubt that, you know, your podcast in particular is, you know, you do a fantastic job interviewing people and, you know, exposing me to new information, new ways of thinking about things. And that's really what it's all about. Yeah, no, I am. I as well, I'm so inspired by everything that you're doing. It's so incredible. And it's almost eerie, the overlap that we, you know, well, we have a lot of overlap in our guests and who we interview and everything, but we also have, you know, different, like, I feel like yours is more menopausal and like women's issues and hormones skew. And then mine's just like all over the place, like deuterium depleted water. I think mine is skewed because I know that nothing prepared me for being middle-aged and it's not like intellectually, I wasn't prepared, but like no one had talked to me about the things that were going to happen. And I'm like, if my experiences can help someone else, and if I can bring on guests that can speak to that, I mean, I know my listeners and I know what's going to resonate. I know I can, I can offer alternative perspectives but I know what content's really going to resonate. And, and it's been validated so frequently that now I'm, I, I don't ever want to be an echo chamber because, you know, as an example, I had that scientist on talking about that form of tocotrienols, anato, and how that can be helpful for bone health, which I think is significant for all of us. But I never would have imagined that his research would really resonate, like resonated steeply. Like I watch all my metrics. I'm a little OCD about it. I only do it once a day, but I know exactly, you know, what content resonates and, you know, perimenopause and menopause or women north of 35. That's really, that's really who we speak to. And so, you know, I think that you bring on guests that have got a very wide, diverse opinions. And I think that's wonderful. And I think it's, it's important for all of us to not be an echo chamber. Because it's easy just to stay stuck in one spot. Yeah, so incredibly true. All the more knowledge, all the more things, the merrier. I imagine I probably will, when I get to that point in my life, have a much uptaken interest in, I mean, I'm interested in it now, but just, you know, what you were talking about with what you experienced and the focus there. Oh, goodness. I want everyone to avoid what I did. I hit the wall, you know, and I thought I was doing everything right. So I'm like, I'm com- completely sensitive to when people tell me, like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I'm like, oh, it's all hormones. I was talking about this with Elle yesterday. Like, having gone through health issues really can be a benefit because A, it makes you learn so much about the topic and gives you agency to, you know, take care of yourself and feel better, but then also just gives you complete empathy for other people having similar things. So, Absolutely. I feel you people when you have, when you're struggling. Benefit from what we've learned. That's what I would say for everyone. Alrighty. Shall we go on to our next question? Sure. Hi, ladies. New to intermittent fasting, and I'm slowly working my way through your fantastic and informative podcast. I am a 24 year old lean male who is looking to move from 14% body fat to 10% and really get those abs popping for summer. 
I have followed calorie restriction for a year with no consistent and lasting results. I exercise six times per week, badminton, squash, hit, resistance training, and football, and I'm worried my calorie deficit is too large. I eat approximately 1,500 calories per day, regardless of how much intense cardio I do. Am I in danger of losing muscle or any other adverse health effects of a deficit that is too large? I eat 10.30 a.m. to 6.30 p.m. and have the above commitments in evenings to start my fast with exercise. Will this also get me into ketosis faster by starting the fast with exercise? You are both awesome and keep up the good work. Many thanks, Alex. All right, Alex. Thank you so much for your question. You're a 24-year-old male, already lower body fat, doing a massive amount of exercise and eating a very calorie-restricted diet. I'm guessing that you're doing the calorie restriction because you are trying to achieve these certain goals, which completely makes sense. And I am all for people going for whatever goals they want to go for. So I support in that aspect. That said, I would definitely focus on adequately fueling yourself. I would be worried about losing muscle from that deficit because how long you said you've been doing for calorie restriction for a year with no consistent and lasting results. This is just my suggestion, but I would have a complete mindset shift with the food. I would stop counting calories. <laughs> I would eat to satiety. I would let fasting do its magic. And if you are going to focus on something food-wise, I would focus on the macronutrient aspect of things, especially if you're pursuing certain body fat goals. So I would focus on protein. So making sure that you're getting adequate protein, especially if you're concerned about maintaining muscle and not losing muscle. And then from there, you can get a lot of benefits. I say this all the time, but you can get a lot of benefits by doing either lower carb or lower fat. There's a lot of metabolic magic that can happen when you're playing with the macros and not restricting calories. You've been doing this for a year. It's a very severe calorie restriction. It's not working. So I would not keep doing it. I would definitely mix things up. And as far as will you get into ketosis faster by starting the fast with exercise? Yes and no. So quite probably you will burn through your glycogen faster and potentially, you know, enter ketosis faster. The only slight difference is you could be doing very glycolytic demanding activity. So the actual exercise itself might be a carb-fueled workout, if that makes sense. But on the flip side, in theory, you should be entering ketosis faster. Do you have thoughts, Cynthia? I do. I'm genuinely concerned about the restriction of macronutrients, especially if you're working out six days a week, which is is pretty dedicated and intense. And you're doing two days of strength training and you are very likely putting yourself in a position that you are not going to be able to maintain muscle mass. Your body will probably catabolize some of your muscle to make up for the lack of macronutrients you're consuming. You know, Ted Naiman talks a great deal about thin people doing this kind of, and I always refer to it as the triad, the overfasting, overexercising, over restriction of of food. And I think we can unknowingly get into some trouble when we're eating in a deficit for too long a period of time. At a minimum, I think that you need to back off on the fasting. I would imagine that simply by maybe swapping out some cardio for some strength training and being very targeted with your macronutrients, especially protein and appropriately timed carbohydrates could allow you to get to the point where you could lean out. But I think at this point, you're leaving your body in a deficit where it's depleted 
And as I mentioned earlier, I think you're putting yourself in a position where you're going to end up catabolizing or breaking down your muscle to fuel your body. Certainly, 24 years old, uh, if your testosterone is optimized, your growth hormone, et cetera, you really don't want to be putting yourself in a deficit like that all the time. So I, I would definitely back off on the intensity, work in a recovery day, maybe instead of doing HIT and all that explosive movement, give yourself another dedicated day of strength training. And I would have three meals a day to make sure you're getting at least one gram per pound of ideal body weight of protein. Because I would imagine you're just, you're depleted all the time. I mean, this is like a massive, massive deficit. And that triad I talk about, I'm, I, you know, jokingly, people are like, what's your next book going to be on? I'm like, it's not going to be about the triad, but I'm starting to talk more about it. This over-fasting, over-exercising, over-restriction, which ends up depleting your entire endocrine system and can put people in some situations where they're heading in the opposite direction, you know, high cortisol, which can lead to, you know, high insulin, high blood sugar. Yeah, this is when you see people that they don't understand the interrelationship of all of these hormones when their body's in a chronically stressed, sympathetic dominant state. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. And by the way, Cynthia, my face is completely numb right now. <laughs> it was like slowly like numbing during the show. And I was like, well, what is happening? This has been absolutely wonderful though. For listeners, if you would like to submit your own questions for the show, you can directly email questions at ifpodcast.com or you can go to ifpodcast.com and you can submit questions there. You can get all the stuff that we like at ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. Do we mention your link, Cynthia? How do people get the creatine? www.cynthiatherlow.com backslash creatine. And for the berberine, avalonx.us slash berberine. And you can follow us on Instagram. We are ifpodcast. I am Melanie Avalon. Cynthia is Cynthia underscore Thurlow. This has been absolutely wonderful. I will talk to you next week. Sounds good. Enjoy your appointment. Thank you. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, everything we discussed on this show does not constitute medical advice and no patient-doctor relationship is formed. If you enjoyed the show, please consider writing a review on iTunes. We couldn't do this without our amazing team. Administration by Sharon Merriman. Editing by Podcast Doctors. Show notes and artwork by Brianna Joyner. Transcripts by Speech Docs. And original theme composed by Leland Cox and recomposed by Steve Saunders. See you next week.